Welcome to Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway, the comic book writer and artist interview show. Well, my voice is a bit raspy this week. I was not at New York Comic Con, so I did not get sick from there, but I was working another event for work, and I did pick up a bit of a cold, so my voice isn't quite 100%. But my guest on this episode was at New York Comic Con, Ben Templesmith. He was the artist on the book written by Steve Niles, 30 Days of Night. He is also the creator of Wormwood, and Wormwood is back this week, as a matter of fact. Mr. Wormwood Goes to Washington, a three-part story published by IDW. So I start out talking to Ben about New York Comic Con, his experience there. I don't worry so much about press releases and things like that because you can read those on the internet, and there's also other great podcasts that cover the events there. We talk about him, his experience as an artist in Artist Alley, what he liked about New York City, and about his creation, Wormwood. We also have a really good conversation about Patreon, why Ben has one, what it means to him and to his backers, and what are the projects he's working on that you're going to see first if you're a member of his Patreon. All of this, and of course, what Ben does for rest and relaxation, his island book, and his beverage of choice, plus a few things about Australia. It's a delight to talk to Ben once again. I talked to him the first time a couple years ago at Baltimore Comic Con, and I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, my conversation with Ben Templesmith, here now on Creator Talks. Ben, welcome to Creator Talks. Hello. Uh, thank you for having me. <laughs> welcome back. I hope you're, you're resting, relaxed now after a big con, New York Comic Con weekend. Uh, no, I'm not relaxed. I, I'm not recovered yet. <laughs> it's like running a marathon, but I haven't actually had good sleep yet um, to feel recovered. I still woke up drained this morning. I got back last night. so. But it's the biggest show in the country. I would never miss it. It's great. I had an interesting day. I, I've had a long day, actually, as we're speaking now, Tuesday. And I got up early, 5.30. And I had to take my dad to the hospital for a procedure. And uh, he had to have a, a crack in his vertebrae filled with concrete, literally. They use concrete. And this is the fascinating thing. So I'm in the waiting room, and there's a board on the wall, like you're in an airport. They have a list of all patients by number. You're assigned a number when you go in, there's a patient. That's very human of them. Isn't it nice? Well, I think it's I think it's privacy. So your number's on there, and you can see in surgery, coming out of surgery. So you know the person's status. Mm-hmm. And I don't think all the older people, though, got the idea, though, because they were like, putting bets on who was going to win, place, or show. But let's get back to New York Comic Con, which is far more interesting than my day. No, is your dad okay? Did it go well? Oh, yes, thank you. He's fine. It's one of those things you get older and then crack, and they can fill it right up. But New York, I understand, and I'm not surprised, it was super crowded. Is that is that what you observed there? Like a lot of people like packed in like sardines? Uh, I'm, the, I'm technically the wrong person to ask generally because I'm a creator and I, I, I work the con, which means I go in as early as possible to beat any crowd. And I sit at my table the entire time. I give myself one bathroom break a day, pretty much, and I sit at the table most of the time because I'm busy. One break? I don't know how you do that. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a camel. <laughs> uh, I, I never. I've made it up to the, the the actual con floor twice, and I think I've done every con since it started. And I know it's very crowded and busy, but it pretty much that's always. I know they have like restrictions on how many people they can fit in, and it's standing room only sometimes. It was a very busy con in Artist Alley too. So just say. If people don't know, Artist Alley is a separate sort of room to the main con floor, which has all the corporate knickknacks and toys and things. 
Were you in Artist Alley or were you on the main floor? I've only ever been in Artist Alley. I know uh, some friends who are on the main floor. Uh, I might try that one year. But um, yeah, I'm in Artist Alley where all the creative people are. This year it was a smaller room downstairs because the old room, well, aircraft hangar that it used to be in, which was about three times the size, has actually been de- de- demolished. And I believe they are rebuilding it to something nicer and fancier that hopefully we will use when they finish it, which might be as late as 2021. So despite that change, though, you saw a lot of traffic at your table. Did you have a lot of people come by? Uh, I'm going to hazard a guess. Certainly hundreds by the end of the con, over four days, yeah. Do you have regulars that come by every year? You see them there every year you go to New York? Oh, yeah. I have uh, some of my, my best fans. Not best. Not that I'm trying to list all the how you grade them, but uh, <laughs> I have great people that come by every year and, uh, and new people, too. And people who have no idea about comics, too. And sometimes I try to help them, too. Now, are you doing commissions at your table? Uh, that's one of the big reasons why I give myself one bathroom break a day is, yeah. While I'm doing the show, I'm meeting people, chatting to them, uh, selling comics and prints and artwork and things. And then I'm actually doing commissions for the people at the show as well. So I'm, I usually have a deadline during the show. Every, every piece of art is on a deadline to get done during the show. So... It's very stressful, but very fun and very rewarding. Have you found that you need to take some of the work back to your room and work later into the night to make sure it's done in time? Well, yeah, once a once a comic book artist probably gets past the age of maybe twenty five to twenty eight, they, they realize instead of being out drinking the entire night, they might be better serve <laughs> to go back to their room and spend a, a little time just making sure they get their commissions done. I usually get everything done. Uh, occasionally, I miss one or two, and I either. Well, actually, people just are very happy to wait, and I mail it to them later. So, but uh, yeah, no, I used to stay up until four a.m. Um, you know, having socializing uh, at my earliest conventions, but that was before I, I think I ever did commissions. So, yeah, commissions have become a thing because there are well, there's the monetary side, but also just the fan connection side and people getting something special off their favorite artist. Was there a commission request that you received that was your favorite? Something unusual, just the idea itself. You were. Really delighted to hear. I must say no. I don't treat commissions that way. I treat every commission as a challenge. So mostly I'm drawing things I would never have thought to draw myself, and I really enjoy that. But I don't like – I can't remember what would be a favorite or not. I mean I enjoy drawing Batman and Skulls. So whenever someone asks me to draw a Batman or a Skull, that makes me happy, and that's like <laughs> my favorite. Because they're, they're very easy though too because I can do them. I love – they're my favorite work. So any, And I get a lot of them too. I don't know if it's the way my mind works, but I'll only ever remember the really tough ones rather than the, the really nice, easy, fun, or really excitable good ones because they're just – that's most of my life creatively, which is really lucky to be. So, But I, I, I often say kind of no now to the ones that are really tough or that I know I can't put my best work into or that just don't suit my style and I think they might find a better artist for. Was there anything you heard at the kind – I know you're at your table practically the whole day, right? Oh, I hear things sometimes. Okay. Well, I was going to say, did you hear anything that surprised you that you can share? Oh, no, no. I just heard there was some um, – I heard there was a bomb threat, um, not at the con, but in the local area. And, and the, when my wife was out there, she was saying, oh, there's a lot of armed police out there. Apparently, there was a bomb threat somewhere close, and it's just – he was playing havoc with the crowds or something. So I didn't hear anything uh, juicy or saucy or, or anything like that. Sorry. <laughs> did you meet anyone that uh that may eventually bear some fruit for an assignment at some point you don't have to tell me who or any specifics i'm probably one of the few not not few, i'm not placing myself on a pedestal by any means and i'm not saying this is a necessarily a good thing but for me most of my work is completely independent in the sense that i'm even now uh in the life cycle of my projects printing them myself 
distributing them myself long before I, I ever even show them to a regular publisher. And when I do, I mean, I have my go-to publisher who I have a long history with, which is IDW Publishing, until they get until they get sick of me. I've never networked for jobs in my life knowingly. Um, I just be a nice person. Um, I'm not looking to meet network, you know, for jobs. Really haven't because I don't seek them out. If they come to me, great. But otherwise, I'm I'm fine. I love doing what I do. I'm, I have a, a core little nice audience that are willing to look at my work <laughs> with without me having to get a, a, an employer to pay me to do it which is really nice. Right. Well, that's the, the Patreon that you have. And I am going to talk about that. But before I get to that, I do want to ask, since you didn't spend all your time uh, working on commissions, did you get a chance to go out and did you go any place that you really enjoyed in New York City? Well, this is being like really nice and sociable and friendly. Um, <laughs> normally, I go to whatever bar I'm told to or we, we try to make dinner plans. Um, uh, I used to live in New York, so I'm very familiar with, uh, well, not with the, that area, but uh, with but uh, we every year we, we try to hit uh, a special restaurant we love called uh, Hill Country, which is Texas dry barbecue. And I don't like barbecue, but I like that place. And uh, so we always make sure we go there once a year. It's a tradition. And we bring along those, a few creators so we can have a nice a nice night. But other, otherwise, it's just eating as much any food you can because you haven't eaten today and getting a drink in you and saying hi to everyone and then going back to your room and working or sleeping and getting up early and working. How late do you work when you go back? I mean, do you say at a certain point, okay, I've got to get some sleep so I can get up and function tomorrow? Uh, I, I'm old. I call it quits at around midnight by now these days. Midnight to 1, 2, 2 a.m. if I'm feeling young. But then I, I try to get up as early as possible and get a head start. Now, something we talked about when I saw you back at Baltimore was uh, Wormwood Goes to Washington. And uh, that started as a Patreon project. Yes, it did. Project, and now it's coming out, I think, next week. 10, 11. Actually, it comes out tomorrow. You're absolutely right. I lost track of time. <laughs> Initially, it was meant to come out last week or during um, the Wednesday before Comic-Con, but uh, I don't know about shipping, how that works, because the book, I wrote the book before the election. I drew it and created it, the whole thing, uh, after the early after the election, and then um, that was still months and months ago, and now it's finally coming out in the direct market. I am so messed up with my time. I'm thinking that 10-11 is like a week away. Dude, I don't, I don't know when my books come out generally either. <laughs> people are telling me about this book rather than me telling people, so it's it's nice. Well, Amazon's ready to have it out as a paperback on 318 next year, so it's already listed. Well, that's the way the book market works with publishers is they, they work at least six months in advance. They need And they need a cover, and they always put the wrong thing up because I haven't done a cover for it yet, and they use a bullshit placeholder cover of first picture or something. It's like, no, I want a real cover. You're not consulted with that decision at all. They just throw a cover up. Usually, they'd need a cover for it before I've even started the whole thing with the timescales. They, they, I guess they didn't ask me for a cover. That's the way it normally works that way, and I give them a cover when the trade actually comes out. It's For Amazon and several you know, bookstores, retailers, they work very far in advance. So that's just been the way it's always been. But I always like doing dedicated covers for, for trades and like uh, uh, hard covers because I know the Many main publishers just recycle the material that was already been done. I like being a little bit special. Now, this started as a Patreon. So your backers have been able to watch as you work and produce some art about the book. They get a little inside knowledge. And, and they have a lot of input on what your next project will be. You will ask them, what would you like to see next? So you're getting some direct feedback from people who really want to see this, and they're willing to pay for it. Um, yeah. More <laughs> <laughs> or less. Well, with the Patreon, the, the Wormwood book that I did through it, I was doing two pages a week on average for the duration of it for a three-issue miniseries. But it was actually an add-on because I was already doing a pro two projects on the, my Patreon, which I'm still doing, uh, of another comic and an art book. So 
So that was just like, a, oh, and I'll do this one too. It worked out. And, you know, if I can keep the productivity going, then that's great. I haven't told anyone yet, and I'm not about to, but there will be another project, a little one, small one, that will just go up on the Patreon too. It's like, hey, if you'd like to see this one, here's this one too. So Patreon is basically a fan club. If you have an audience already, it's basically a pay gateway to seeing special things from someone you like. So it's kind of like a fan club, really. And so they can see the whole process, everything I do, and then they'll get a PDF of each issue as it comes out. But uh, And normally, um, sorry if I'm rambling, normally with my projects, I actually print them and they get a print copy as well. A very exclusive, like signed and numbered, numbered one. But because it's Wormwood, it's kind of legally tied up with IDW, so uh, I can't just print my own that has to go through them. So it was more the aberration of Patreon rather than the rule of how I work. The reason why Wormwood's coming out um, is, I don't know if I explained it on the Patreon, but basically it's creator-owned but not creator-controlled. And IDW basically like owned 50% of it, so I can never take it anywhere unless I get lawyers involved or something. I can't take it anywhere else. I can't do anything else with it without their consent, so they have to publish it. But what that means is also because it's creator-owned, they don't pay me to do it. And I've never asked them to, and I never will because I don't want to. So I just give them a book, and they'll print it, and then we split the profit. So what that means is when I still have to pay my rent, and I'm not rich anymore, I wish I was. Not that I was ever actually rich. Patreon helps me eat while I do it and then put it out and make some money. Um, as opposed to my own projects that I do completely now where I can do a Kickstarter for and all sorts of things and, and actually finance doing the book before I even give it to you know, IDW or a regular publisher. Because you actually make less money through the direct market than if you were to do it yourself. It sounds weird, but I could make more money on 500 copies I do myself and like sell by hand effectively or to my, my most awesome fans versus I'd have to sell 5,000 or more through the direct market to make anywhere near the same because there's so many middlemen and the you know, diamond distribution. It's just the economies of scale of it. Yeah, I guess people would probably think, oh, well, more volume, you're going to make more money, but not if you're going through so many different hands distribution the publishers all that yeah and not if you're a niche book in the first place i mean i'm not i'm not captain america and i'm not i'm not batman so and even they don't sell as much as they used to anymore either so uh yeah so wormwood exists now because of patreon basically which which helps pay my rent and help me survive so thank you very much thank you everyone on my patreon but there's different deals in comics to how a comic comes out now, even with creator own, because I know companies like Image is giving creators advances now in order to, to do the book, which I hate, I would never do either because I like, I literally like doing the work before I get paid. I don't like having, you know, debt over my head because that still comes from profit from the book. So you're still kind of screwed. So if people want to see me make, make the pancakes before they eat them, then that helps me make the pancakes. For the ingredients, I don't know what the pun, the uh, allegory is, the metaphor. And I guess with the uh, advance too, you might feel some pressure, like more pressure than you probably want to feel, and that's going to kind of stymie some of your creativity if you feel like just oh, I got to get this done because I have this advance now. Yes, but the the pressure from the Patreon uh, patrons is pretty much the perfect pressure because I know they're people that want and enjoy my work, but they're not pushy, and I don't feel the stress, so I can do it well, hopefully and still make everyone happy at the end of the day. It works for me, is all I'm saying. So, But I think it should work for a great many people. The only problem with Patreon is uh, this horrible search function. So unless you know someone's on there, you literally have to tell them to look you up or, to, or the address or something like that. Because you won't just randomly find all the people there. It's not a community yet. It's not like Kickstarter that way yet, where you just randomly find great things. It's hard to search. But maybe one day. Now, about Wormwood, 
Is this one of your favorite characters? Because it's one of the, the first ones you created. And just an aside, today, while I was sitting in the hospital waiting for my dad to go with this procedure, I binged on all your Wormwood books. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no... It's uh, The title comes before the story. Yes. Oh. It's, like, it's, it's, a fun, it's just a fun thing. It's not meant to be serious. Although this one actually has kind of a, a plot. Mm-hmm. But I created him in high school, so he's actually my, my oldest, fondest thing. It's just me throwing a bunch of stuff I liked into one thing and seeing what would stick. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's literally my oldest creation transmuted into something slightly different. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, anything else I've created is sort of like a one-off thing generally. But one was something I keep coming back to. And I love the titles, too, of this series. And I kind of jumped around in order. Like, I started with the first series i read through that birds bees blood and beer then i jumped ahead to calamari rising and then i found well i still have enough time so i went back and i read it only hurts when i pee that one definitely the the title came first sorry (laughs) i I wanted to see if idw would actually let me print it or publish it (laughs) and they did and there was a one shot uh issue 13 which if people aren't familiar with wormwood that would actually be a good one to pick up real quick you could even like buy it digitally read that and then pick up Wormwood Goes to Washington. It might help you with a little bit of background. So Wormwood, Wormwood generally is not issue numbers. Not to me. I, I, I couldn't tell you issue numbers. They, they're a series of miniseries. And then occasionally just a one-shot, you know, to get something out of my system. You have another one coming up just in time. I guess just in time for Christmas. Ah, oh, shit. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, so it's in previews. Is there a solicited? It, it, it is. It is. The Christmas special. It is on page 186. Uh, it'll be a Christmas special one-shot that I have to finish very very quickly. And that'll be on my Patreon as well. I'll be showing them how I do it first. They got the pressure on you now, huh? They solicit it and you got to get to work on it. Well, this, this one I agreed to do. I like, you know what? I could probably make it by Christmas, so I'll, I'll do it. Because normally I don't like even talking about things until they're done. Because I don't trust myself anymore with deadlines and things like that. But if it's my own work, then it's much easier. And Wormwood goes to Washington. That's been done for a while now. Probably done for at least four months before before they even solicited it. I like that because then you have the luxury of thinking about things and promoting things and adding extra content and all sorts of things. So. And you started it before the current administration. Now, uh, would you say that the book's still going to touch upon some of the corrupt Washington politicians in kind of a general bipartisan way with a lot of horror and humor as you normally would do with Mr. Wormwood? Well, yes. I mean, I wasn't a fool. I didn't <laughs> presume one person would completely win an election over one other person. But uh, so the book's not about the election. It's not about presidency, actually, although there is a few asides in it. But it's mostly about Congress. And because everyone can agree Congress is broken and screwed. And a lot of Congress people are kind of morons who are beholden to lobbyists. You know, everyone complains, but no one likes Congress, basically. You look at the polling, no one likes. But they love their own congressmen. But uh, so I have a lot of fun with, with basically Washington establishment stuff. But not, not not Trump or Hillary as such. I, I left that alone. That's way too divisive. But everyone can agree that in general we hate politicians. Okay. So this, this is a little more timeless then. So it's a, it's just addressing corruption in politics in Washington and Congress. And, a bit, uh, and narcissism, corruption, and uh, space fungus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's all space fungus' fault. And there's a few historical figures thrown in there as well. You save America. And I love America, and America will be great again because of these historical people coming back and uh, – kicking butt something else that you're working on and this was fun too because this was done through patreon where you you asked people the patreon backers what they would like to see next and people voted on it i voted on it and 
You wait, you voted on it? I did. I'm a backer. I'm gonna have to go look up your name properly now. <laughs> I mean, I'm not like a high level backer, but I, I'm a backer. I'll have to be nice. <laughs> and uh, original hate. You're going to work on original hate about the and Neanderthal that is brought back to life by these scientists, these goofball scientists. There's a bit of social commentary in this one as well. It's a more than one Neanderthal. It's a Neanderthal revenge horror, potentially a bit of romance as well. They were actual human beings like us, except not like us because they were actually a different species. But we can't wrap our heads around that now. Although were they a different species because apparently we interbred. But um, no, I, I did a lot of research on evolution things that we might take for granted because even in a lot of the documentaries you see, because we're human, we tend to see ourselves in everything and we think that we can make our predecessors just look like us. Uh, it really pisses me off, especially with makeup and stuff, because facial proportions are actually different. And if you saw some of our early ancestors, their facial proportions would be different. That actually freak you out because that there's that psychological effect where if it looks like someone, but slightly not in just enough way, it looks really scary to us. Yes. I've seen articles about that and, and where they change the face just a little bit or something. It's some, like with the CGI. If it's just not quite right, it's creepy. And I don't know why they don't do that more in horror movies for real instead of horrible horror movies. But uh, So I played with that a bit. I mean my drawing ability may not capture that at all. But there's things that we do for like recreating even maybe the Neanderthals because there's uh, – I don't know if you realize we are the only great ape left that has whites of the eyes. In any large degree and so that was an evolutionary thing that happened at some point but i'm not sure i couldn't find when that happened and no one can tell you so i'm making the anthos look a little more bestial than we might be and that might be a good reason why we hated them and decided to kill them because i do believe they were the first genocide because they didn't look like us and we have a habit of not liking people that don't look like us yeah i read an article recently uh actually it was through npr and it was from the max planck institute I don't know if you saw this. It was, I think it sounded like last week that there's a percentage of our own genes that come from the Neanderthal because you talked about the interbreeding. And this was like 30,000 years ago how uh, Euro-Asian individuals bred with the Neanderthals. So some of our characteristics, our skin oh, tone. My friend, my friend, I am uh, around 2.5% Neanderthal because I've done my DNA testing. Yeah, they can tell you now. You can go and do your DNA testing and they'll tell you. Yeah, it, it comes up. But I've, I've read various things. So one of the things that I have read that I don't know if it's true because it's all internet research bullshit. Sorry for the French. Um, that maybe it was only passed by the, the male line of Neanderthals, which means very unpalatable things potentially, uh, according to some people that have imaginations. So it wasn't like it was just a, a happy coexistence. It may have been a case of abduction and rapes and various things. But who knows? It was a long time ago. The study says like 1% to 3% of our DNA, if we're like that – your Asian population that came from there has that DNA, that Neanderthal DNA. And what they think it influenced besides like hair color, and there's different Neanderthal hair colors back then, but it does influence our hair color now and also our skin tone and our ability to tan and the fact that we even have circadian rhythms and have sleep cycles. I've read what that, but I haven't read some of it is certain though. Like I wish it was that I could, I would say with certainty, so that I, with confidence, put it in the story somehow. But I know that, that a lot of them were gingers, which probably explains why we hated them, actually. <laughs> Sorry if you're a ginger. I'm not a ginger. I'm not. No, I'm not. Uh, gingers are great people, but <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> Neanderthals were ginger. I, I would no lesser than any other. My wife is not offended. <laughs> good, good thing. 
Oh, it's just amazing. And it's all in England. Uh, evolution is much more complicated now because there's other species of human that we've also been mixed with and all sorts of things. There's no clear family tree anymore. It's all great for stories. That's what, I'm always trying to grab the stuff for the, to put into the story somehow and have it be relevant slightly, as opposed to just making stuff up, which which I mostly do. Well, is it a series or a one-shot? Something like a one-shot like uh, Blood Songs? Uh, original Hate, when it comes out through 78 Squid or my Patreon, which is the, my, my brand thing, uh, is planned to be three books of 48, uh, 42 to 48 pages, perfect bound. But then hopefully when it goes to the direct market, it will equalize out to a four-issue miniseries that's relatively meaty. That's my plan. I've paced it out. When you do crowdsourcing, crowdfunding type stuff, doing it all yourself you can play with formats the world opens to you but uh i don't think to my knowledge or to my experience that uh you know the perfect bound prestige type format larger like 42 pager books i don't think they tend to do as well in the direct market because they have to price them higher i just haven't had success with that so i wouldn't do that for them i just like regular issues but if you buy them off me it'll be a nice 42 page signed and numbered edition with uh yeah with good paper stock not a not a floppy as such. And how much time do you need to allow yourself to get that wrapped up? Because I know like, one case you can't really – you have no control over – well, I shouldn't say no control, but as far as the printing of the book and when you actually receive the book from the printer, that sometimes that takes a little longer than you expect. So how much time do you allow to, like, for everything to be complete? You're talking about uh, the difference between mental collapse and <laughs> never pay my rent. Uh, <laughs> the way I do it now, when I'm doing a book on Patreon, I do two pages a week, which allows me to – go along at a decent clip. Um, and my patrons are really my editors that way because I want to. I have to keep doing it for them. So I don't need this page done by Monday because every Monday and Thursday I, I update generally. But because it's a smaller book because I can do anything other than a hardcover basically, I can you can print uh, in short runs within America. So I get the books within a few weeks usually if they're not being held up too long. So that, that doesn't figure into things. And they're just – that's sort of the – the, the reward at the end of the journey for a lot of the, the patrons. So I'm not on a deadline for that as such. But with a Kickstarter, which is a kill me, you have to usually use a printer um, that is much more involved because it's usually a hardcover with a slipcase and fancy things that it has to be because of economies of scale and the way America and the world is, they will get printed in Asia these days because they're half the price of what you could. It's like you know, getting a three-piece suit tailor-made in America would cost you $2,000 maybe, a nice one. But in Thailand, it'll cost you $150. So you, so you kind of have to go with you know, the, the viable price that allows you to pay your rent and makes the project feasible. So, And those, yeah, when those, those books could take – I've had delays. I've had cock-ups and stuff that have taken months. So people have to be patient with a larger tome. One of the projects that wasn't – well, it was voted on but didn't win in this, in this particular round – and I would love to see this someday because I'm an Edgar Allan Poe fan. Is Hop Frog in the cast of Amontillado? You, you're only saying that because you're on my Patreon. <laughs> well, I saw it was one of the choices, and I'm like, well, that's something I want to see. Well, I paste, I've actually laid it all out. So that, and I, and the other one is the uh, the one where he's bricked up in a wall at the end after talking about wine a lot. Yeah, I was going to make a, a a nice little one shot or one forty two page shot of that. Um, I still want to do it. I'm still going to do it. I have half the book laid out already. Basically, that means I just have to draw it. It's just the labor now of doing, of creating the actual thing because I've done the hard work of putting the, figuring out the pacing of the story and the, the, the type. So I will do that at some point. I do want to do that if you actually want it. <laughs> yes. And you are a Poe fan. I'm not saying I'm not a Poe fan, 
obviously he he's influenced the whole culture. Uh, I like some of his stories. Some of his stories, like same with Lovecraft, some of his stories are very unreadable, but some of them are great and they really hit a nerve. But they've gone on to influence everything, so I like going back to the source. And shamelessly, they are also mostly public domain, which means you can interpret them your own way. Um, unlike everything else these days, which uh, corporations decide, no, 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 this is never public domain. We're going to change the laws. You know, it's like Shakespeare. You know, imagine if Shakespeare wasn't public domain. No one could do anything without paying people a lot of money and having them dictate exactly how to do it. So you wouldn't get all the great interpretations of great works. Well, you might find this interesting. Um, and I went to this particular event years ago, like in the early 90s, and it's still around. There is a uh, an event in November. It's in Mount Hope, New Jersey. And I haven't been to this, like I said, since probably like 1990. But they have uh, this thing called Poe Evermore. In a, in a mansion, they put on plays of Poe's work. Have you heard of it? Uh, no. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> I guarantee, like, I know, I've heard of one for Lovecraft. There's a Lovecraft uh, convention, too. I haven't been yet, but um, it doesn't surprise me because there's fans of everything. And that would probably be an interesting one to get to. Well, they have a Renaissance Fair there. And after the Renaissance Fair wraps up, the same actors and actresses actually go to the, the Poe Evermore. And they said it's a dinner theater. And when I went there way back in the 90s, they would have multiple plays going on at one time. So you would go into a room and watch one of the plays. And then at a certain point, they have a break, and you go into the center bar and have try different wines. And then you go back out and get some more plays. Then you come back in and get some more wine. So that was a really cool way they did it, and I, I, I want to get back there someday. Well, I've been, to, I've been to a, I don't know what you call it, but that sort of theater in New York City already, Where, but it wasn't Poe or anything. It was just a, it was a, a drama set in a speakeasy, and you were actually having drinks, walking around the rooms, and the, the, the play happened around you. It was very nice, very nice. Like a murder mystery theater kind of thing. Yeah, I think it was like a, yeah, kind of like that. I forget exactly what it was called. And I didn't catch half the story because I was drinking with friends. But, <laughs> but it was very, very artsy and clever. Now, uh, something else that's coming out soon, and this is for the Patreon members who supported this, is Blood Songs. And I saw the books came in. Ha, ha, ha. Those books have already gone out. So. <laughs> ah, they came in. End of September. Now they're going out. Okay, good. So I should see mine soon. Here's a question for you then, Mr. Patron. Uh, did you buy it? Because I have a special dedicated store just for patrons. I gave people a discount as well. Um, so people who bought it on there, I shipped them out first. So they should all be should be, all be out and two people now. And now, because I got the books after a great delay, um, now I'm packaging the bulk of them for the main Kickstarter. Blood Songs was a Kickstarter first. so Because it was actually something I'd already had done, mostly done, um, before I even thought about you know, doing it. Um, and, it, but I didn't have everything of it recorded in each stage of its production. So I, I didn't want to put it on the, the Patreon because it's like part of the deal is, is the process. And if I don't have the process, well, like it, it doesn't really, it's not magic. <laughs> I gotcha. Yeah, no, I, that one, I am a Patreon backer, but I, that one I got through Kickstarter. Well, thank you, sir. You'll get your book soon. I promise. Excellent. I have been up, updating on the, the shipping. So, but now that I'm back from New York Comic Con, like I don't have much to do Travel-wise, so I can just ship them all, hopefully. Do you have any more cons lined up this year? I believe I have one, a local one in close to Seattle in, in a place called Tacoma. Um, and then I have, I think I'm going to Brazil at the end of the year for a, a big one in December uh, in Sao Paulo. I'm probably saying it wrong. Have you ever been there before, to Brazil? I've been to Brazil, but not Sao Paulo. Oh, I've been through Sao Paulo where they, where they lost my luggage. That was... <laughs> 
apparently it's a, it's one of the cities uh, world's mega cities it's like 20 million people or something it's it's huge it's like it's like mexico city huge um and apparently it's a really big, big show too now on the tentacle end i know that usually you're doing like pencil and it looks like kind of a watercolor finish on your art and you've started to dabble in acrylic inks how's that feel you like that uh, better about the same something different I have two kind of phases of working. I have comic book interior pages, which have a, just a, a my process hasn't changed. But then I'm starting to try and experiment with other other media mediums, media, uh, just on like one-off images mostly because I wouldn't be confident for a long time to put that into my entire process where I'm drawing 20 pages in a go sort of thing. But acrylic inks are a lot of fun, but mostly my work is pencil, uh, rough pencil sketch. Then I ink with pens and maybe and some brush pens now with ink and then then i do watercolor washes and and stuff and some white line work and then i scan it all in and mess around with it and with color and try not to stuff it up too much and uh, all of my work is pretty much eight, at least 80 percent real work real 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 world real world work and then 20 percent computer so you know the acrylic inks are fun um they're just a bit they have a bit more versatility than watercolor for anyone that cares to know it's uh, yeah, you buy them in little bottles and uh, you use a dropper and you don't need much to have a very, very vibrant color. It seems like you've been doing a lot more covers lately. I mean, maybe it's the same output as you have been doing, but I've just noticed lately there's been a lot more. You did a cover for Exo Manowar. I do covers when people ask, but I'm actually a, a pretty big fan of Valiant. And uh, I did one thing for them a while ago and then the editor sort of humored me. When I sent him basically some fan art, like, you know, like, I really love this character. I've never drawn him before. He's, what do you think? I just wanted a show. And they're like, oh, okay, we can use that. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I've done probably four or five Valiant covers now, which is very out of my wheelhouse normally because they are very superhero kind of kind of company, really, style-wise. But I like I like doing a slant on that. So I wish someone would give me a real Batman book or something or a Deadman book or Lobo or something. You know, because that, that's all I've got left now is, is, is experimenting on things that I wouldn't have – tried to do initially i guess because i can do whatever i want for myself so it is nice to play with other people's um things sometimes i was going to be rude sorry <laughs> that's all right but yeah so I, I i but i don't normally seek it out but uh it's nice when they ask so i will always say yes and i've just done a couple of covers for uh aftershock as well one of them being justin jordan's new book called Backways, which i don't mean to brag but is one of the covers i'm most happy with in recent memory now is that going to be a, uh, an alternate cover that we can choose when we order our books i don't know i'm hoping it's one of the normal many covers that are easier to get but i don't know um they don't normally tell me these things much about like the actual logistics for the consumers when I, when they ask me to do a cover, so would you like to do a cover? Yeah, I guess that's their decision. I mean, I understand why they would have incentive covers for you know, to help sell more books to the shops. Um, I know it's expensive for the shops to do that because they would then have to take that incentive cover and sell it for a higher price to cover all the extra copies. But I really like it when they just make it one of the other covers you can choose. Because, that's what I like doing. Yeah, I mean, we wish more people to have an opportunity to buy it. And it would be interesting to see how would that cover do compared to another cover. Well, that's that's the way I like it because I don't – to be crass about it, I don't like ripping off fans. I don't want to try and make them spend more money than they have to just to enjoy a book. So I do like doing, for my own work, A and B covers of equal amounts. So it gives them a choice. But, you know, some cool people buy both. So – but, it, I mean, if it helps sales – I mean, variant covers do help sales, unfortunately. So publishers are always going to do them. For those really exclusive ones, like some – 
dealers, well, I mean, they'll charge accordingly depending upon how many copies they had to buy to get that one. Others might say, well, I don't want to price it up that much. So I'm going to put it in auction or you know, just make, maybe have it like a, a raffle giveaway kind of thing where no one's actually you know, having to shell out absorbent amounts of money for a single book. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really selling exclusivity because it's a, it's a smaller run. It's a special thing. And I do that myself with signing and numbering every one of my, my own books and stuff. You know, I want to give an experience and exclusivity to particular people that care enough about it. So I just have some questions for you that I ask everybody, all my guests. Uh, they're just fun questions, not serious. But I mean, have fun with them. You won't get me in trouble? No, no, these won't get you in trouble. No, 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 no. They're, they're, they're harmless questions. Oh, you don't, you don't know how I'll answer, trust me. Well, <laughs> you'd be surprised. <laughs> All right, then. Well, the first one, it's easy. What do you do for rest and relaxation when you have an opportunity to do that? What do you like to do? Uh, are we talking hours or days? Because I haven't had days in a very long time. Oh, hey. Um, well, you mean, a, you mean a time I don't get to worry about a deadline or my own deadlines and stress? Yeah. Oh, that hasn't happened in a while. I, this is how boring I am. Uh, if I had a, a day or a week, like, oh, I, I don't have to work for a week. Like I have money and I can, and I know no deadlines pending and I can just like screw off, you know, I would probably uh, sit down and play a computer strategy game well into the night for several nights in a row doing nothing but eating junk food. <laughs> that's, that's my dream. I love strategy games, but I never get time to play them much anymore. So, cause you need to invest hours or days into a good strategy game. So specifically historical based, uh, mm. strategy games. Okay. That's a, oh, I, I might go out with my wife to a dinner or something as well. That would be nice too. The normal answer to that, however, is simply sleep because sleep is a, a commodity. Good sleep is a commodity. Unfortunately. Now, if you were stuck, on a deserted island, and you only had one book with you, what would that book be? Uh, okay. I know what you want as an answer, but my answer is not is going to disappoint you because it wouldn't matter to me. what It would be as large a book as possible so that then I could create a fire with the pages and, and have a campfire to cook fish <laughs> okay. for as long as I would stay alive on that. You took is this paper? I'm going to use that. I'm sorry. I'm not going to be reading it. I'm going to be using it. That's fine. That's a perfectly fine answer. That's where my mind goes. I'm sorry. Probably a dictionary. Probably a really big fancy dictionary. As long as the pages aren't laminated because that won't burn well. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> well, some people say a book on how to get off the island, how to build a raft, you know, something practical. Well, has anyone given you that answer before? Yes. No. Not Good. about – no, they have not. But if you're asking a book that I would want to read over and over again, it would probably be a historical narrative book probably about – the Invasion of Europe by the Mongol Empire. Is that something you haven't had a chance to read yet? I mean, is there, is there some historical novel that you want to get to, you just don't have the time? No, no it's a book I have that I've read at least twice already. Oh, so. okay. It's a very entertaining read, but I'd probably burn it. So, <laughs> Sorry. Is there a book that you want to get to that you haven't had a chance to read yet? One of those things like, yeah, I'll get to it someday? Not one that I recall. I, I have uh, authors I follow because – I'm a big fan of history, so they, they they tend to write series of novels about things like specific Roman legions or, you know, histories of empires and stuff. So I just pick up – when they have a new one out, I'll try and pick it up and find time to read it, which is slower than I'd like to these days. And how about uh, movies? I mean I have some of my bucket list that I'm trying to get caught up on because I don't really have the time to watch a lot of movies. I don't have time to go back and watch ones that I missed years ago. Like I – I actually had a chance to catch up on watching when I had always meant to get to Dark Man, and I watched it last weekend. I liked it. Nobody, nobody else did. I did. Nobody else it, was, it, was, it was okay. 
No, I have no problem watching movies because one, it's technically for work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, it seriously is. It's like it's about storytelling. It's about knowing certain intellectual properties. It's all you know, knowing the zeitgeist of what's pop culture right now that I can get into. So I might do images for it that could make me money potentially, or all sorts of things. You know, like. But uh, so I, I will make. I don't see many movies at the theater anymore. So it has to be one I do want to see for me to pay money for it. That you know will go. So that's not a problem. We can find a a few hours to go and see a movie. But um, everything else, I actually usually stream Netflix and Amazon and a lot of things while I'm working. So I watch endless movies and TV shows and crap, documentaries especially, um, while I work. So I've seen pretty much anything I've ever heard of that I'd want to see. Um, and if there's new things, I'm like, oh, okay, okay, I have another four hours worth of movies or TV to watch while I work. So I love that. Well, that's interesting you can do that while you're working because some people cannot. I mean they don't want any, any distractions, especially for writing. They don't want any distractions. When I'm writing, that, when I'm writing I, wanna, I literally do my best writing on a plane in the air or on a train, no Wi-Fi and stuff like that. Or I'll go to a coffee shop where I'm away from other stimuli and just have to look busy in public. That's when I do when I try to write properly. That's serious. That's the thing. I get a lot of work done when I have to look busy in public because I'm, I'm very awkward. So I just wanna, don't want anyone to engage me. I just sit there looking very busy. Drinking coffee. I will do that. Okay. Yeah. Good process. Process. But when you're doing the art, though, you're you have this Netflix streaming, whatever, just to kind of you know while you're doing that. Yeah, because that's when my mind goes elsewhere, and I just you know, uh, but I need to be alone for that. I don't want anyone to be. I'm very self conscious, except for at cons. I managed to get over it at cons, where I'm constantly interrupted because I'm at a con. I'm strange. I don't pretend to explain it. (laughs) Now, do you have a beverage of choice? And it, you know, it doesn't have to be alcohol, but it can be. Well, you said beverage. Beverage, yes. To me, in learning American culture, that means non-alcoholic. But because uh, if you say you want a drink in Australia, it doesn't. It, it a drink is liquid. Um, but in America, when I say, "Do you want a drink?" Well, can I get you a drink? It means, "Oh no, I don't drink." It's like, well, you do. You drink water or something, but you don't have to have alcohol. But uh, so, do you mean something that makes me happy? Yes. <laughs> that I actually enjoy. That I wouldn't get to just drink. All the time. Yes. Uh, or I would have a nice scotch on the rocks. Specifically Macallan 12 because I can't afford nicer stuff. But Macallan 12 is very nice. No, I wanted to ask you about your citizenship. Do you still have dual citizenship with Australia and Great Britain? Do you have both of those right now? Uh, I believe so. I only say I believe so because they gave me a British passport, which technically means I must be a citizen, surely, to a degree. But I let it lapse. I can renew it. I need to go and renew it. So I believe, yeah, ancestrally, I have a British passport. And I'm apparently eligible to become an American now. Um, and I haven't done the paperwork yet. Not because I don't want to, just because there's logistics and time and paperwork things. But I've lived in America for, I think, nine years now, which makes me perf- within the window of like, oh, yeah, you can be a- apply to be a citizen anytime you want, which is nice. And you came from Australia. I did. I am Australian, despite the fact that I, I sound more well-spoken to a lot of people in America who think I'm English. Or actually, they, they, ask, they tell me I sound Irish half the time. Oh, really? I'm now. Irish or South African as well, I get a lot. But all my friends from London who sound like they're actually from London, when, I'm, when they visit, they all assume that they're uh, Australian. And it's a little bit annoying. <laughs> but it's all right. It's all right. People here don't know accents as much. It's fine. I've never been to Australia and people that come from other locations, exotic locations, and to me, anything outside of where I live is exotic. And I, I'd always ask them, and I'm going to ask you, why should that be one of the places I must see 
one of the top 25 before I die. Well, I'm not a picky person. So, like, I'm not a pushy person, I mean. So I'm not going to say, oh, you have to go there. Yes. Uh, we, okay, so <laughs> we have healthcare. We have great healthcare. Very cheap compared to America and much better uh, quality, shall we say. If you look at the stats, that's true. Our education system's not bad. We're not in the top 10 universities, but that's okay. Uh, the weather's nice if you like heat, which I do not. Uh, we have lots of adorable wildlife. Uh, and we have some poisonous ones, which Americans seem to focus on, but don't be worried because you don't come into contact with them unless you routinely already come into contact with black widows, grizzly bears, and mountain lions. Don't worry about them. So it's, it's like we're very scenic. We're very friendly people. We do like a drink. So, yeah, well, we, we like visitors. So we're not terribly you know, racist or bigoted or unwelcoming. We like people. So come on over. Now, you've probably had this question asked to you before since you're from Australia. Just qualify that. I'm from Perth, which is kind of like the Alaska of Australia, Alaska slash Texas, in that the rest of the country and the rest of the stereotype that you know about Australians is all from the East Coast. And I'm part of only two million people on the West Coast in a state bigger than Alaska and uh, three times the size of Texas, I, I do believe, which is mostly desert and only two million people in the whole place. So what I might say might be different to a, a, an actual Australian from like Sydney or somewhere, So, which is where most Aussies are. Well, there was a time on American television where they would promote Foster's beer as the Australian beer. And what is the impression Don't of it? Don't make me swear. Pardon me? Ah. Oh. <laughs> shit. <laughs> Don't drink it. It's garbage. <laughs> rubbish as we would say no no I've, I've literally had one can of fosters in my life i took two sips and said this is horrible and it wasn't a plane flight to las vegas and they thought it would be greatly amusing if i had a fosters <laughs> uh, we don't drink fosters i didn't even drink it at university where you you go to drink instead of working but um no we have local brews a lot of micro brews as well and we have our stock standard good beers as well well tolerable beers which uh americans have probably never heard of like vb victoria bitters uh, we had one called Emu. That was great. Ex Emu Export, but I don't think that exists anymore. We do have an okay beer called Crown Lager, which is a national beer that you could probably find easier, um, which was actually brewed by the Diplomatic Corps originally to entertain diplomats when they visited Australia. And that was apparently so good that they said, well, let's, let's make this a real beer for everyone. But mostly we're all about microbrews. And I don't drink beer anymore because it's too filling and it doesn't have much effect and I'll just get fat. <laughs> And I forgot what your question was because I was blindsided. By no, that that was my question about Foster's. The irony of Foster's is Foster's, the, co the company that makes that, ended up – in well, until recently, I don't know what happened. Maybe they stopped anyway, but they made more wine than beer. That's how shit their beer was. Foster's is a marketing scam on everyone else in the rest of the world, especially America. Yeah, I'm kind of spoiled here in America because craft foods are a big thing here now. They started like in the mid-90s and they've exploded. Well, I'm in Seattle, so yeah. And it, it's sort of like – Budweiser is considered a premium brand in parts of Europe. That's crazy to me. But, uh, yeah, different tastes, my friend. Yes, indeed. Well, Ben, uh, it's been great, and uh, I am looking forward to, since it's going to be out tomorrow as we're recording this, but this will be out on Thursday, so it will still be in stores unless it's all gone. You know, Wormwood goes to Washington. Great if it was, but it's a pre-order anyway, so that's – hopefully we get a second printing. It would be nice. And it's a three-part series. It is indeed a three-part series. And and for anyone that loves Trump, it's not about Trump. Uh, it's about draining the swamp. It really is. It's about horrible politicians in general <laughs> and space fungus. Anyone who's backed my Kickstarter, thank you very much. And you'll be getting a book soon because I'm shipping them now. Yay. My hands will get my fingers in bleeding literally in the next couple of weeks. So it's going to be fun. Look forward to seeing it. Blood songs. Yeah, you'll get your copy, I promise. 
I know. I trust you. <laughs> you shouldn't, but thank you. <laughs> ben, thanks so much for being on Creator Talks. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Creator Talks. The podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, and YouTube. If you like what you hear, please rate and review on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't miss a single episode each Thursday. Subscribe. It's free. A new interview will be available each week, and sometimes there'll be a second, maybe even a third interview that week. You can send me feedback and comment on social media. I can be reached at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod on Facebook and Twitter. I'm also available on Instagram, Creator Talks Pod. There I will post pictures while I'm on location, as well as my Saturday Silver Age or Older and Sunday Bronze Age Spotlight comics from my personal collection. Don't forget to visit my website, creatortalks.com. There I have listed the latest episode on the homepage, plus a playlist of all the episodes to date that you can listen to online or download. In addition, on the site, I'll be posting my recommended reading picks, as well as written interviews with creators. Also on my YouTube channel are video interviews with creators on location at comic conventions and elsewhere. I know you have a lot of entertainment to choose from and a lot of podcasts to choose from as well. And I thank you for making the time to listen to this one. Your best source for comic book writers, artists, and creators. There are more interviews in the works and you never know who it might be. It is my distinct honor and privilege to speak to these creators and bring you those interviews each week. I'd like to thank my executive co-producer, who makes this possible, Mrs. Calloway. That's all for now. For Creator Talks, I'm Christopher Calloway. Until next time.